Hey guys, it's Gimme the Creeps here. Hello. We are back for part two of the Scott Peterson case. Uh, I have a few corrections to jump in to if we have no other announcements. Oh, uh, really quick. We are very sorry to hear about the news with um, my favorite murders. Georgia Hardstark's cat passed away. Uh, Elvis, you know. He was an icon, ended every episode with the most unique uh, meowing with uh, Elvis, do you want a cookie? It's never going to be the same, but his little paw prints are on all of our hearts forever. So rest in peace, Elvis, and our hearts go out to you, Georgia uh, and Karen and the uh, My Favorite Murder family. All right, so we have here part two of Scott Peterson. I probably said her maiden name wrong. I couldn't tell because some people called them, uh, they call her Lacey Rocha, but I feel like it's like Roca or something, like Roca, like a K, like a hard K, but I can't tell what? if that's the right way. Her last name is R-O-C-H-A, so I just didn't want to be like disrespectful and like say the wrong pronunciation the entire Who? time last. Who says that's her maiden way. name? So uh, I don't know. I forget, but I feel like I've heard it both ways on um, like interviews or like newscasting I've things. I've only ever um, heard it. Rocha? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, well, let's hope that that's correct. Um, another quick correction. I said, um, I said Diane Sawyer, or I said Barbara Walters interviewed Scott Peterson, but it was actually Diane Sawyer. So sorry about that. Uh, I had to correct that really quick. And also, um, there were more details on how the dog was found. So I'm going to go ahead and mention a few of those details before we move on. So the leash was attached and uh, Redwood City, California, a neighbor of Scott Disick and Scott Disick. Oh, my God. That's what? so embarrassing. That's that is do you know who Scott Disick is? That's from the Kardashians. I cannot believe <laughs> I'm cutting right that. Now. My brain is a is a boiled egg. Okay, so <laughs> Karen Servas was the neighbor who found the dog, and she was questioned by prosecutor Rick Destasso, said that she delayed her plans to run errands and instead got out of her car and grabbed the dog by its leash, which was covered with moist leaves and grass clippings. That is an important detail that I did not see in the um, docuseries. So I found this on um, CNN.com. What, what was so, it again? Um, One more time. There were moist leaves and grass clippings on the leash. Oh, as it was like as if it was dragged through those like. Uh, so debris, then he did like walk that. through. He didn't. He wasn't just outside the whole time. Like he walked through. Yeah, walked he must from have somewhere. come from some. Yeah, exactly. So, um, service who put. Uh, the time at 10 18 a.m. said that Lacey's car was parked in the Peterson's driveway, but the gate was locked. So she went to another gate at the side of the house and locked the dog in the yard. Okay. So as service then returned to her house, she washed her hands. Um, that she, This is what she testified. And she saw a man who appeared to be walking from the park. Uh, a common event. After completing her errands and making a phone call, cash register receipts, 
and telephone records helped her reconstruct her timeline. So she returned home around 4.05 p.m., and she acknowledged having testified during a preliminary hearing that the time was 5.05 p.m., but said a review of her schedule led her to revise her estimate. Service said that Scott Peterson called her at 8.30 that night to tell her that Lacey was missing. So he called the neighbors, which I guess I didn't know, um... I guess he might have just called her because she found the dog, but I don't know how he know how he knew she found the dog. Why would he be calling her? Um, yeah, that's weird. Unless that's she called him, him first and he just called her back. Oh, maybe. I feel like that would have been Said. mentioned in yeah, here. Uh-huh. Yeah, but or at least during her questioning or something. But mm-hmm. so he called her that night at 8:30 to tell her that Lacey was missing. And when she told him that she had found their dog wandering in the neighborhood, Scott handed the phone to the detective. So it all came together right then. They hadn't known what was going on in each other's days up until that point. He didn't right. know she found the dog. She didn't know Lacey was missing. Mm-hmm. So then afterwards, Scott invited her to join him and his parents for Christmas dinner, enticing Saravas, a vegetarian, with an offer of cheese tortellini, she said. At the Peterson's house, Saravas found Lacey's parents distraught and in tears over the disappearance of their daughter. So why would they still have Christmas dinner? Why the fuck did he invite that lady? Beats me because she cared enough to put the dog in the yard, maybe? But still, I don't... Or she showed her concern, maybe, whenever... He mentioned he's just, you know, uh, it seems like he's always like the friendly kind of guy to do that kind of thing and not think about it. But I mean, I'm assuming that it's because she showed concern when he let her know that Lacey was missing. But still, that's really weird. Or maybe the parents wanted to know details on how the dog was found. Who knows? Unless he didn't want to be by himself with her parents. Shoot. I mean, that's an excuse for anybody to have. Mm hmm. While she was there, Scott told her that the Modesto police had taken a gun and rags from the house without telling him, she said. Under cross-examination by defense attorney Mark Garagos, Serva said that she saw no signs of struggle in the yard when she returned the dog. Prosecutors allege that Peterson's affair with a former massage therapist led him to kill. Okay, so we know all that part. So then they go on to, I guess, question her about anything and everything having to do with Scott Harvey Kemple, whose wife is a cousin of Lacey's mother, testified that he saw Scott in the driveway of his house on the night of the 24th and that he tried to talk to him. Peterson was talking on his cell phone and did not acknowledge him at first, Kemple said. After the call ended, Scott told Kemple that his wife might have walked their dog in the park. Okay, so Scott, it was actively behind the scenes trying to figure out what was going on. So I guess maybe that's why he was calling the neighbors to let them know just in case they had seen anything. So instead of the police making these calls, it's, it looks like that's what Scott was doing. So why didn't Um, the cops do that? I think it's because they were honestly looking through his house at that point. Cause that night when they called the police, well, the police don't get there till around midnight, if I'm remembering correctly. And this is around eight 30. So I'm assuming once he realized she might be missing, he had to start putting the pieces together. And his father-in-law had called the cops at 5.30. We'll have to go through the timeline. I have another listed timeline so we can kind of refresh our memory here in a second. But um, I'll leave it at that because I thought that the debris on the dog's leash was something that was either overlooked or they didn't even think to question where the dog had been. Because that's a big clue in this whole thing is where the dog went or how it got there. Yeah. Um, that's that. And like I said, that's CNN.com, uh, the Peterson trial. So Diane Sawyer interviews Scott um, for Good Morning America. 
And um, in the interview, national TV blew up the story even more. At this point, they're looking along the bay for her body, uh, but it has not been found. On January 25th, Scott calls Amber and asked if they had asked her to speak. She had come on TV and uh, gave a public appearance and apologized to Lacey's family. And at that point, they're already looking for a body. Scott calls her and asks if they asked her to speak, and she said that she felt it was time because they wouldn't leave her alone. Uh, he tells her he is going to speak to the press, and he wants maximum coverage, and at this point, he finally says that he's going to do whatever it takes to find Lacey. And he mentions that several times throughout the call, even and especially as you can hear Amber trying to pull information from him mm-hmm. and, and kind, of in an, like, kind of antagonize him to where she's like, well, you said you love your wife, but where does that put me? Like, where do I fit in? Why would you do this to your wife if you love her? And he's like, I'm just trying to find Lacey. Like, he just completely disregards the drama of it. Yeah. And just says it in the recordings. Uh, But of course, he's already marked himself for guilt whenever he lies and acts normal in the recordings. So he contacts people about doing video interviews and they are in his home. So every move he makes is recorded by both the camera and the interviewers who are uh, like one particularly was the local reporter, Gloria Gomez of their uh, Modesto news network. And Scott was not ready, nor was he coached enough. It seems so he dug his grave a lot deeper with how he was handling the questions and just the way his face looked. He was very like stoic with a lot of his answers. He didn't show any, I guess, sadness or concern really that would be convincing enough for the public. So he lied and he that he had told the cops on the 24th about Amber whenever they question him and are like, <clears throat> were there any marriage problems? Can you think of anything she would be upset about? And he claims that he let them know about Amber Frey, or Fry at that moment. But in reality, you can play back the tape and he says nothing. He literally says, um, no, we're doing good. Like we have no problems. And it's believed that he lied that he told Lacey about Amber because that's also what Diane Sawyer asks him. Did Lacey know about your mistress? And he says yes and that she was okay with it. And this is when Nancy Grace rips him a new one. Yeah, she said there's no way an eight-month pregnant wife would be okay with someone um, having an affair and telling them about it and then they're just fine with it. It doesn't make any sense. So – I don't know if he was just trying to downplay it so that he was not as bad of a guy as he seemed. Like, even she was fine with it. Why are you guys, you know, all upset? Yeah. I let her know, and she, you know, didn't say, let's get a divorce or anything like that. I guess he was just really trying to downplay it emotionally for the public. But it made it a lot worse. He also had a slip of of the tongue, like I mentioned last time, and used the word was when discussing Lacey and they didn't have a body yet so it's like why are you referring to her in the past tense he made it clear that he needed to speak because they needed to keep searching for Lacey more than they currently were thanks to the Amber Fry news Mm -hmm. she was missing past her due date and into March the case was still being investigated and then heavy rains on April 14th 2003 at 11:43 a.m a dog walker finds a badly decomposed body washed ashore. So this is where it gets intense. There are helicopters circling because of the rumors that a body has been found. And sure enough, you see it uh, along the rocks. It's a torso believed to be female after the coroner arrives. And the body of 
It was just her torso, right? Like there was no head. Yes. And we're going to go into detail and I have a graphic uh, warning later on. We will go into detail on the autopsy findings and the body upon discovery. So there's a lot to unpack with this. It's very complicated because it was the ocean and a Mm. lot of things can happen to a body in the ocean, unfortunately. So um, we have to take into account all of that. But uh, so it's a torso believed to be female after the coroner arrives. And it's strange because the body of a fetus had been found the day before it had washed ashore, but it wasn't. I guess it wasn't reported at the same time because they're looking for Lacey. So it's not really at the top of the list to report just the fetus, I guess, being found until mm-hmm. they find them both and then make they connect the dots. But Gloria Gomez arrived to report on the scene and was the one to call Brent Rocha, her brother, Lacey's brother. Um, and he had heard by then and he said it's her and he started crying. Brent's statement is just heartbreaking as he talks about the dreams he had for his children, having cousins to grow up with and how those dreams were taken away. He was very close with his sister and it just broke my heart because I feel like that's how my brother would, would talk about me. Oh, and it's just no. so, so like I mentioned, this wasn't the first body found, but it stood out because they had been searching for Lacey's body and she was an adult woman. So as soon as the torso was found, that's how the reporting just started. Mm-hmm. So just the day before the fetus had been found. Uh, this made the police excited because now they can pin it on Scott with a body and their job was made a lot easier um, and an arrest warrant for Scott was in the works at that point. Mm-hmm. Scott was laying low in San Diego with his family most of this time since, you know, he couldn't leave his house without being bombarded with questions every single time. He was being um, hounded even by just the public in Modesto anytime he went out in public. And on April 18th, 2003, the infamous uh, Good Friday saga, Good Friday plans brought a long-awaited normalcy for Scott's family in the form of some golf in San Diego. And here is where recordings from a 2017 phone interview come in on the docuseries where he's explaining what had happened. And so here it comes. Um, This is what he has to say, but it's kind of backed up well by some of his... uh, voice recordings between he and his brother Joe on the phone. Mm-hmm. He tells him he thinks that the media are following him and Scott felt that the news were going to follow him all the way to San Diego and he didn't want to bring all the media to his family. And you can hear him saying that to Joe in the phone calls. Mm-hmm. And there are recordings of him talking about trying to lose them. So he's like speeding up and driving erratically. Um, but it was the cops that were following him. Um, I guess they were worried he was going to run because of the news of the body. Mm-hmm. But that was days after. This is the 18th. The body was found on the on the 14th. So um, if he knew where he dumped the body, who else could it be? You know, that's something to also take into consideration. Why wait until Good Friday unless this was a whole cover up? Um, and you're going to see what he backs up here in a second. So he's driving erratically and it created urgency to arrest him. So they finally turned the light on and he pulled over and they arrested him. They found $1,500 in cash, four cell phones, camping gear, and he looked a lot different than they remembered seeing him. Um, He had bleached hair and um, facial hair. He had grown like a goatee situation. And um, they told him that the DNA testing came back and the bodies were confirmed to be Lacey and Connor. Once again, he didn't react the way they had, I guess, anticipated or hoped. And they noted in the paperwork that he had shed a single tear in his right eye. 
and he defends it as not wanting to be emotional in front of the two detectives in the car ride. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that even to his mother in the 2017 phone calls from um, San Quentin, she calls him and he mentions often how he doesn't want to cry on the phone. He doesn't want anybody to hear him break down or see him break down. He mm-hmm. wants to remain strong and stoic. And she, his mother mentions that he comes from a stoic family. Like they are just very emotionless with a lot of things. And in some way I kind of can relate to mm-hmm. not wanting to be emotional in front of people. I mean, you saw me at my wedding. I, I didn't cry during my vows. And then when Hunter read his vows, he, he cried. cried. Yes. He really <laughs> cried. And I had never seen him that way. So, I mean, it just depends on a lot of things. But right. to base it on simply his lack of emotion, I feel is kind of unfair. Yeah, I don't think people should base p- other people's reaction on if they fucking murdered somebody or not. Sometimes right. though, it is creepy, but for the most part, like yeah. you don't know what the fuck they're going to do. You don't know how you're even going to react. So, Oh yeah. And I'm sure there are tons of um, body language analysts and things and psychologists and stuff that can break down exactly what they think is going on with him. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, but uh to continue on, they are on the way to the jail, and I'm assuming it's the, um, I forgot the county, but it's the county jail that he's from. So they had a quite a bit of a car ride back. Oh, the Stana, Stanislaus County Jail? Mm, Stanislaus. Yeah. It's strange. It's spelled strange. But um, so there's a mob waiting with signs as he arrived to the jail. People even brought their children. They had no shame. They were, as far as they were concerned, crucifying a monster at that point with the news breaking that his wife's body was found. And they believed he was running to Mexico and the media took this and ran with it. And so here's a chance to explain everything on on this part of the series, he defended his disguise as trying not to look like himself due to the media following him and people on the street threatening him. And there was even a photo where he met with one of the detectives on his case while he was looking like that. Um, So if it was a disguise to hide him from the police, then Mm -hmm. why would he meet up with the police looking like that? They knew it was him. So that's one thing that kind of backs him up. He had his brother's um, driver's license. So they tried to say he had a fake ID on him, but it was actually his brother's driver's license. Um, and he was going to try to get a discount at the Torrey Pines Golf Course, which happened to be 30 miles from the Mexican border. Hmm. So it's either he was heading to Mexico and he's using that as a cover, or he really was just trying to go play some golf with his um, brother and his family. And he mentions in the phone call as well, that he didn't want to lead the media to his location because they would see him playing golf and be like, what the hell are you doing? Your wife's dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even though uh, he, I guess was looking for something to distract himself is what I'm assuming his excuse would be for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and the cash, here's where it's just a, a fucking mess. It's the cash was due to his mother Jackie accidentally withdrawing ten thousand dollars from their joint checking account and returning it to him in cash. And she returned it to him in cash to avoid any holds. Well, you know, sometimes you put down too many zeros and you're going too fast or whatever. What the fuck? I wish my mom out. accidentally drew out ten thousand dollars. It's it's there. Yeah, I know, right? It's their money, I guess, together. I don't know what joint checking account means. I guess she has access to his money is what I'm assuming. I guess that's how that works. I, hey, he comes from money. I don't know how that works. If my parents were rich, would we have a, would we have a <laughs> joint checking account? 
Uh, so dip in there and take money out. Hey, mom, I just need like $500 to go shopping today. Okay, cool. Sounds good. So anyway, she withdrew that much fucking money and gave it back to him in cash to avoid any holds being put on it, which I understand that part. And I understand it accidentally being withdrawn, but it just looks, it just looks really bad. He said he knew where he dumped, if he knew where he dumped the bodies and where they might potentially turn up, he would have ran when they were found if he planned on running is what somebody says in the docuseries. And it, took extra days to identify the bodies but why would he need to wait for the results he would have known uh, who it was based on where he dumped them and where they were found right so he was taken into custody at the Stanislaus County Jail and he pled not guilty to the counts of first and second degree murder with intent and with premeditation and the district attorney seeks the death penalty for Scott and the family believes the same that he should be put to death and he looks scared and shaken as he's sitting there receiving this news and this is not even the trial yet but that's just how everybody already feels Mm -hmm. back at the peterson residence a large amount of flowers are placed for memorial for connor and Lacey. um yeah that house was full of um flowers and pictures of them and stuff and Everybody was really sad to find out like it's it's confirmed that she's gone and there's no finding her alive anymore yeah. The McCall- uh, McAllister advised the family to get a public defender because the case was a lot and he didn't have the resources. So I guess he had either been assigned to this attorney or he chose this attorney, but he goes ahead and tells him you need somebody bigger for this one. This is this case is just too huge for me. So this is going to be a tough case to defend. And so the family gets Los Angeles attorney Mark Garagos. He was going to be hated for defending Scott. Matt Dalton was his, his investigative defense attorney, and so he's the one actually looking into all the details um, while Garagos does what he does best and uh, does all the cross-examinations and stuff later on in the trial. Matt Dalton was his investigative defense attorney, and he jumped into the discovery first of, um, I guess, the bodies and stuff. And he had 30,000 pages of documents from the whole investigation up until that point, I'm assuming, And he spent the majority of his time with Scott in the jail, getting to know Scott very well and also breaking down everything that the investigation had found so far. And he even offered a way out with a manslaughter deal if he had accidentally killed her or something like that. But Scott didn't even entertain the idea. He simply said, I didn't do it. And here's what the police say happened. So this is what their theory is for the whole um, scenario. They say that Scott killed Lacey on the evening of December 23rd, 2002. He attached eight pound anchors to each limb and one around her neck. And then he dumped her in the San Francisco Bay. The PI mentions that he spoke to people who saw him launch his boat. And they saw nothing inside the boat. It would have been obvious if they saw a tarp or, yeah. you know, something that looked weird inside the boat. Mm. And she's a pregnant woman, you know, like he would have probably not to get too graphic here, but I'm assuming he would have probably had to detach her limbs before even because she was found without her limbs and without her head. It was simply a torso on the bay or, you know, on the shore. And uh, we'll get into that later. But they saw nothing in the boat. And Michael Vestra, David Johnson and Yuri Feria were witnesses. Yuri did not recall Scott's face, so he didn't know who he saw. I'm assuming if that was what they're trying to say there, but um, he recalled seeing nothing unusual as Scott passed by on his boat, 
And it was a very, it was a small aluminum boat and it would have been obvious if he was hiding something on it. But um, what, at what point did he see him when they'd already, he'd already been in the water, like out a little ways or was this like right after he got into the water? Yuri was on the dock still, oh. I think. I think untying his boat barely, like as he had just got there, and Scott was already on the water passing by him. Mm. Um, so they say that that's he says that it was Scott, but he doesn't remember his face, like he doesn't remember specifics about his face, but he knows it was Scott. But he knows. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I know it's weird. So he neared brooks island and started to fish there for a little bit and yuri was on a on a trip whenever the pi i guess was still talking to him and he asked the pi if he was going to be needed and garagos said no but now they are seeing that his testimony might have been valuable in the case um him not seeing anything in the boat is contrary to what to what the police think which is that that's when he disposed of the body uh-huh. when matt dalton shows scott images of the baby you see the attorney attorney on the screen um during the docuseries breakdown just describing how distraught scott was um and he mentioned scott stopped eating and lost a lot of weight after that okay um, well that could also chalk be chalked up to uh, i'm in prison and i'm gonna die yeah and i <laughs> I mean, even if it could be, like, remorse, like, he didn't see his son, like, whenever he killed Lacey, like, so, of course, he's going to be emotional seeing the baby dead after. True, true. Like, if it it was um, something he hadn't considered, almost like a second, Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. So, May 4th, 2003 is Lacey's birthday and memorial. So, uh, many people showed up except the Petersons. But prior to the service, Jackie Peterson, Scott's mom, released a statement on why the Petersons were not going to attend, stating they thought it was best to um, not take away from, like, they didn't want everybody focused on them uh-huh. during her memorial and her, for her birthday. So, mm-hmm. they held a separate memorial with Scott and they had 20 to 30 minutes with a handcuffed Scott at the jailhouse, I think. And here are some key key dates up until the trial, um, up until December 13th, 2004. So here we go. Key dates in the Peterson trial. Friday, December 17th, I guess this was posted in 2004. And so here we go from the beginning to give us a little refresher for when the trial starts and how they um, pretty much boggle everything, in my opinion, or blunder. They make a bunch of blunders during the trial. So uh, December 24th, 2002, she's 27, eight months pregnant, reported missing from her home in Modesto. And the 26th, police searched the Peterson home. They had searched that night. Keep this in mind. They get, they did a, a loose, lenient uh, search when he let them in that evening and they didn't report anything strange and then on the 26th is when they had a warrant I'm pretty sure and they uh, did a deep search the 24th of January 2003 Amber Frey a, mes- a massage therapist from Fresno comes forward at a police news conference to say she was having an affair with Scott and, and it, it began on November 20th after he lied and said he was single February 18th, 2003, police get a second search warrant and remove 95 items from the Peterson home. <clears throat> second search warrant. Jeez, they had two. Anyway, so March 5th, 2003, Modesto police say they are treating the investigation as a homicide case. April 13th, 2003, the remains of a male infant are found on the shore of the San Francisco Bay. 
April 14th, a decapitated female body washes up on the shore of San Francisco Bay near where the infant's body was found the day before. The remains are identified as Lacey Peterson and her, and her son um, on April 18th, and Scott Peterson is arrested in San Diego. April 21st, 2003, Peterson is charged in Stanislaus, Stanis, okay, whatever. County Superior Court before Judge Nancy Ashley with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances. Peterson pleads not guilty. June 12, 2003, Judge Al Girolami imposes a gag order on participants saying the restrictions are necessary to preserve Peterson's right to a fair trial amid massive publicity. June 26, 2003, a California Superior Court judge orders that 176 recently discovered wiretaps of Peterson's telephone calls be handed over to the defense as part of discovery. August 6, 2003, defense attorneys say um, Peterson was offered a plea bargain and threatened with a death penalty three months before he was charged. And on the 17th of December, the judge decides to bind Peterson over over for trial on murder charges in the deaths of his pregnant wife and their unborn child. December 3rd, Peterson pleads not guilty. January 8th, 2004, Girolami permits a change of venue. Oh, because they were, they needed to relocate to Red Rock, if I'm not mistaken, because of how big the case was locally, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which in my opinion, they should have gone further than that because um, that was closer to San Francisco where the bodies were found and also where it was just a big news hub. It was a big city, big area. Mm -hmm. So... We will stop there and come back so that I don't give away what I'm about to talk about. Ooh. So now, the trial. The trial had to be held in Redwood City, and it's less than an hour away from a media hub that was San Francisco, and that was not far from Redwood City. The jury pool had been tainted by all of the live coverage. It was difficult to get a few people open-minded enough to give him a fair trial, even though it was his right. Jurors Googled him as soon as they found out that it was the Scott Peterson case, and people lied to be able to be on the jury. Um, I found out something called um, about something called stealth jurors, which are jurors who are fixed in their answers, and they get on the jury to with an agenda, so they already yeah. know that they're trying to um, mm-hmm. say somebody is guilty. Yeah. Um, instead of keeping an open mind and receiving all the information first. So one lady got caught being phony to the courts and talking shit online about how she fooled everybody and how she hated Scott and couldn't wait to um, make him fry. So she gave herself up on that one. And it took nine weeks to find 12 jurors, six men and six women and six alternates uh, were decided after questioning hundreds of people. June 1st, 2004, day one of the trial, the jurors need needed fake names also, and they needed to be ready to decide not only if he was guilty, but also if he should die. I mean, like, that's a big thing to be on your shoulders, you know? Yeah. Um, Big decision there. Uh, Ted Rowland was in the courtroom. He's one of the local reporters from Modesto. He uh, got to come to the trial, and I'll explain how it works in the courthouse um, in a second. And he gave a play-by-play of, of everything because there were no cameras allowed in the courtroom. So everything that uh, is gathered is based on press conferences that they hold afterwards. The prosecution drove home the motive and that the theory, that's all they had really was um, Amber Fry and the motive. Like that's what made him look the worst in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, having a mistress and acting normal during this whole thing. And the theory that he killed her the night before 
she was reported missing and then spent the night cleaning up the crime scene and then disposing of her body in the morning. Destasso just talked about the weeks of dishonesty with the affair and whatnot, at least to make the jurors dislike him because he was a liar. If he's not a murderer, he's a he's a serial liar, and it's very damaging to his character. Mm-hmm. June second, day two of the trial brings the defense forward. Garagos had a big moment with pointing out how the Martha Stewart episode that Scott mentioned was actually in existence, and it made um, and it was accurate. What he described in the episode was accurate to what was in the episode, and it made the prosecution look stupid because the day before, Destasso had said that there was no such episode existing and that scott must have just lied to cover his ass Mm -hmm. they tried to say that that episode of martha stewart didn't exist and he didn't he never watched it but um why couldn't he have watched it but by himself like i don't i know the episode like that whole thing is like dumb he i know relying on circumstances. yeah like what the fuck he could have watched that shit by himself he could have fucking i heard someone talking about it like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i don't know that's but, okay. but what but that's what Garagos does is picks apart the opposite side's argument, whether it's important or not. If it shows that they have a weak argument, oh, then guess, he's in. You yeah, know what I mean? True. So it's like they didn't pay attention enough to even they made a big statement by saying that episode doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and then they he goes and pulls it up, and everybody in the courtroom's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it's a pretty big moment. Um, so then, uh. That was apparently a heavy blow to the prosecution. And the second blow to the prosecution was the fact that there was zero forensic evidence found and there was no foundation for their theory that Scott did it. So they were really relying on just the timing of everything, making sense to the jury instead of saying we found her blood on the ground or we found they I think I didn't mention it here, but they found some pliers at his warehouse that had her hair in it. Mm. But I mean, I shed a lot. A lot of women lose hair everywhere. I don't know what he would have used those pliers for. Um, but anyway, that's. I think that's the most that they found of Lacey's DNA. But if it was like one single strand of hair, then okay, that should, like literally, he, Scott could have had him on yeah. had it on his clothes, and it fell yeah. off of him onto that. But if it was right. like more than. Like it looked like he scalped her with it or something. Yeah, like if there was a couple strands on there, uh, but uh, I don't know. It's oh just God, weird. I just pictured. I just pictured like what if he stabbed her in the head with it or something, and then tried to clean them, but then a piece of hair stayed on there. Because I mean, her head was gone. That's what sucks about this is we don't know what happened to her. We have nothing to fall back on in terms of injuries or. Um, what happened so yeah. so he relied on that there was no forensic evidence and so people took that into consideration on june 3rd 2004 day three and the first full day of um, their trial press conferences were held after each session to the media and in turn to the public due to there being no cameras in the courtroom so people were watching live feed of these press conferences mm-hmm. and it was a constant game of who did better on that day's trial session um, the defense or the prosecution the witnesses that the pros- prosecution seemed to be accidentally helping the defense because the cross-examinations seemed to do more harm than good on the side of the prosecution. And so, of course, Garagos, he's, uh, he did the case that I brought up last time with the intern and her boss. Oh, yeah. He defended that one. So he was a big-time L.A. 
uh, attorney. He was not afraid to take on the tough cases, so the cross-examinations were pretty brutal. A computer forensic analysis uh, witness, which was on the side of the prosecution, I'm assuming, pointed out that at 8.40 in the morning on the 24th, someone was online shopping, and this blew a hole in the whole theory. But, you know, it could have been Scott, mm-hmm, like you said, mm-hmm. but... It shocked the courtroom whenever this was, because this was brand new, that it hadn't even been brought up at all in the news or anything. It hadn't been asked about and it hadn't been put in the report. Uh, So they had withheld the information until that day, which was important in shaping opinions on what happened. Right. And the search on this online shopping venture was uh, a sunflower printed umbrella stand and uh, some women's clothing. Mm -hmm. So... They they bring it up in the docuseries and they show a few photos that sunflowers were her favorite. She loved anything with sunflower print on it. So that's kind of something easy to cover your ass with if if somebody's, you know, pretending to online shop and right. say, oh, what's, what is that like, you know, whatever. So um, that's all I'll say about that. But that is something new that they hadn't heard before. Um, so this is a new timeline, which would rush Scott to to uh, complete his to-do list that morning if he had killed her after that instead of the evening prior. So what do you think? Could he have killed her after she did some online shopping? What time was that at again? 8.40 a.m. in the morning. Hmm. Wait a minute. But then remember, he leaves around 9.50. Okay, and she goes for her walk. Okay, I still believe that he is the one that picked her up from her walk. After Okay. He could have easily been like, he could have gone, he could have gone to where she normally walks and been like, Hey babe, I came to drive you back home. And mm. she gets in the car and he takes her to the warehouse or something and he kills her there. But I just realized nobody she saw. Wouldn't leave the dog. Huh? If he put only her in the car and then the dog is walking no, through the he wet grass, took the do- he could have taken the dog with him. Don't you remember the last time I was like, he probably let the dog uh, out. Dropped her off. Yes. yes. Okay. So took her to the house with him. Yes, but I just realized everyone's like there was or that man was like there was nobody or there was nothing in the boat with him, but what if he wasn't trying to get rid of her body then? He was mm-hmm. trying to get mm-hmm. rid of the murder weapon. Oh, okay. Something small. Yes. Like small things could be thrown into the ocean easily. Yes. Okay, well, Keep that in mind. We're going to talk about the ocean and all of that stuff soon. Because my theory is that her body wasn't thrown in until months later. Ooh. Okay. Don't forget, December and April are pretty far away from each other for her to still be intact. And for it to come. Intact. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So keep it because I mean, with all the turbulence of the ocean, not to mention predators mm-hmm, and things like that, mm-hmm. I can't believe there was anything left of her. I don't believe for a second that she was um, disposed of um, on the day she went missing. I feel like he either held on to her body somewhere, but that's where it's tough because when would he have been able to if not before he had eyes on him? Okay, so we'll get into that. But um, good, good call because, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so then to try to say Scott did it to make it look like she was alive is is a good point. But the prosecution 
withheld that information so that once again that's where it just looks bad and it gives the defense something to work with um so the prosecution tried to change their theory by saying they actually don't know when she was killed so she still could have been killed that morning by scott they tried to say oh well we didn't say she was for sure killed the day before but they actually had tried to say that Mm -hmm. So at this point, it's looking a little bit promising for Scott in the courtroom. And here's something that's fresh on the true crime scene, public internet forums. It's the early 2000s. Picture it. It's a fucking playground for people to gather together and and come up with their opinions and stuff. It's pretty much what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Um, But this was when it was like brand spanking new. So there was a woman on the docuseries and she was able to get into the courtroom during the trial, I believe more than once. Uh, Yeah, I think so. She got to go to many of the trial dates. Um, And I didn't know how this was done before, but there was, there was a lottery held every morning before each trial session. And it's uh, before it started to see who got the public seats. So if you wanted to sit in, have to arrive one or two hours early and get a ticket. And then they would randomly pull out however many seats they had available that day. So the Mm. courtroom was like 50 seats and the media took up 25 of the seats. And um, a woman from Kansas started her own internet forum because she picked up that the evidence was just mishandled and things weren't looking like a proper investigation. And so um, she was seeing how anytime she mentioned believing Scott might not be guilty or questioning the guilty plea, others would insult her and like say you're in love with Scott, you're obsessed with him, you like a baby killer, blah, blah, blah. So that's why she started her own, her own internet forum for this specific thing. And she would put in there and update it uh, every single time she went to the trial. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, Cause it was more, it, instead of it being like a media driven thing, it was like a regular person just, right. But my question is, how many times was she picked to go in there, though? Because that means that she missed days, and so she missed information. This is true. I'm assuming that other people who joined the forum might have been able to go. I tried to look it up. I think it's called Scott Peterson, uh, Scott Peterson's Innocent or something dot com or dot net. And you can actually find it. And but you have to have a password. So you have to like ask to join and mm. then they send you. Okay. Um, yeah, they like accept you or whatever in there. So I thought that was interesting. So she's on there and she gets like a thousand members almost right away discussing his potential innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a leak of untrue information, such as a mop bucket in the kitchen having been used to clean up blood in the kitchen. And then a rumor of vomit being found near the pool. And both of these are um, untrue. Mm. Uh, but it definitely fed the other side, uh, the prosecution side. Right. So prosecutors then tried to say that concrete anchors were used to weigh down her body because they had found um, plywood in his warehouse that had markings of cement. But police had asked him on December 30th, 2002, over the phone Um, And it's a recorded call. Uh, They asked him if he had made those in his warehouse. And Scott said he had made one concrete anchor and that was in the boat. And sure enough, he found it. They found it in the boat. It was just one. Okay. So this is big, in my opinion. The concrete anchors, uh, Scott said he had made just one and that it was in the boat. And they find it in the boat. So fine. Okay, whatever. He also mentions how he made it in the shop. So his warehouse uh, is going to have all the stuff that he made the anchors with, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And they tried to say that it looked like he made four of them. 
they asked what he did with the rest of the bag of cement. Cause I mean, if you look at a bag of cement, it has quite a bit in there. It's like a powder that you mix with water or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said he, he just poured it into his muddy driveway to help soak up uh, some of the moisture. And then Nancy Grace tried to say that he was lying and made it seem impossible that he could do that. And the whole thing didn't make sense. But when they went and looked at the house in 2004, you could see the sprinklings of cement mix next to the driveway. Um, You can see like the hard parts that dried within the soil. Mm -hmm. Um, But she never went back on her show to correct herself whenever that happened and didn't want to admit that she was wrong. And Richard Cole, he was with the Redwood City News and that's who told her like, come look at this. And she went and looked. She's like, oh, would you look at that? But then she didn't mention anything about it. Of course not. Um, so here's something to consider. The police thought that it was suspicious that Scott produced a receipt for the marina parking, but yes. also thought it was suspicious that he didn't have a receipt from the gas station that he has supposedly stopped at on the way home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird. They went back and forth on saying what was suspicious, and then it was suspicious he had a receipt, and then it was suspicious that he didn't have one for the gas station. Mm-hmm. I don't get receipts from the gas station, do you? No. Whenever it's I don't like, get receipts like a receipt. anywhere unless they print it out and they hand it to me. True. Okay, same. Um, So they pointed out that that was weird when they asked the police about that. And Detective Brocchini owned up to a piece of omitted evidence when he took the stand. Someone who had a warehouse across from Scott had let Lacey use her bathroom on December 23rd, the day before she's reported missing. Mm -hmm. Brocchini left this out and Lacey was at his warehouse and seeing as that's where he keeps his boat, she would have seen the boat. This is important because another thing that the prosecution tried to say was not only was Scott keeping Amber Fry a secret, but he was keeping his warehouse a secret and even the boat a secret. Um, So if she was there, then she knew all about it. You know what I'm saying? So he tried to say that she didn't know he had a boat and, and neither did his family. So, okay, she might have known about the, the warehouse, but she for sure didn't know about the boat, according to the prosecution. Mm-hmm. And this is also important because that's the day before she went missing. So it's just a very messy, messy thing to try to say. But then he brought it up himself to own up to it before somebody else brought it up, I'm assuming. Because, like I said, that that guy has 30,000 pages from the investigation. So it was bound to be brought up. Mm-hmm. So I guess better get in front of it before, you know, the it just comes out of nowhere. It gets messier. In week five of the trial, juror number five speaks to Brent Rocha and gets dismissed. Um, He said something along the lines of, uh, oh, there's a camera behind us. I'm ruining the shot. Looks like you won't be in the news today. Um, And they were kind of joking around. And this is Justin Faulkner. He's juror number five. Um, He gets, once he's dismissed, he's saying like a canary. The networks everywhere wanted to know about the trial. Um, And he said from the beginning, he had doubts against the prosecution from the jump. He said that it's not that he was defending Scott necessarily, but he was defending the process. And he saw that it was not going the way it should have been going. The only reaction at all that was mentioned uh, about Scott's emotions was, uh, oh, this is whenever the, the bodies are shown. They show images of to the whole courtroom. And it's just upsetting for everybody to see the bodies um, in the state that they were in. And this is the only time they mark uh, any reaction coming out of Scott. And it was some kind of gulping action that he was doing. I'm assuming to maybe stop himself from crying. He was kind of swallowing down his, um, you know, how when you want to sob, but you like don't let it out. Yes. 
Uh, so it seems that he was pretty emotionless according to many who watched him and it seems like he was holding back a lot and tried to be stoic in front of a lot of people or he's just a sociopath and that's just what he says. Um, so now we're jumping to the graphic part of the podcast. So that's where we're going to leave off in terms of the docuseries. The episode five and six are mostly... Five is just mostly talking about how Amber Frey or Amber Fry was portrayed as a victim and also people were coming after her, like showing revealing photos of her and stuff in the media, trying to play her off as like a scandalous like mistress, like they do with every woman that's found to be the other woman. Mm-hmm. But I'll break down the rest of it next time but as far as the bodies and stuff here we go we're about to jump in because i the first thing i thought of was decomposition in the ocean how is it any different how long does it take and what are all the things that you have to take into consideration when you think about it right so um i found this thing on livescience.com and it's what happens to a dead body in the ocean and basically the main points it brings up are that predators are definitely going to feed on the easiest parts of the body. Um, Mm -hmm. So limbs and, you know, soft tissued areas and stuff like that. So they did a study using pig carcasses and they threw them in different parts of the ocean. And what they found was the oxygen levels um, in the water determine how much feeding is going to take place. Because it takes oxygen to create the energy for predators to ingest and digest. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. So they're not going to be eating if there's no oxygen in the water because then they can't fucking breathe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And also, uh, what type of body of water was the body released into? Like, was it an inlet? Was it along the shore? Was it um, uh, that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So here we go. Let me bring up specifics here because I just thought it was interesting that's the first thing I thought of is no wonder she was found as just a torso but also how long would even that torso um have lasted if she was to have been disposed of on the day she went missing yeah the inlet that they used was the sonic inlet s-a-a-n-i-c-h and it is a low oxygen environment and has no oxygen during some times of the year. So that's another thing to take into consideration. It's wintertime in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, but this experiment that they did, when the researchers dropped the first two pigs into the water, the oxygen levels were about the same. But when scientists dropped the third body, the levels were lower. Um, so the big scavengers are like dung- dungness crabs and shrimp. Um, They need more oxygen to smaller creatures like squat lobsters, which need less oxygen. And the smaller animals' mouths aren't strong enough to break the skin of the pigs. So as long as the carcass entered the water when oxygen conditions were tolerable, the larger animals would feed, opening the bodies up for smaller critters like the squat lobsters. And um, when the oxygen was low, the larger animals did not come and the smaller animals could not feed because, like they said, they couldn't break through the skin. So it's like a whole system. Um, so now that now, now they have a good idea of how bodies break down underwater and research can help solve mysteries. Um, like the floating feet in, uh, where is that at? You know what I'm talking about? Is that in Canada? I have no idea. There's a place where along the shore, they're constantly finding shoes with feet inside them. What the fuck? That sounds really familiar. Dude, I'm not sure where it's at. It's creepy. 
So that's what I found about that. And that was lifescience.com. Um, and then sciencefocus.com is another thing I used. And it says sciencefocus. Here it is. How long does it take for a body to decompose um, at sea? It depends on the temperature of the water. In cold water, the bacterial action that causes a body to bloat with gas may be slowed down that the body stays on the seabed. The skin will absorb water and peel away from the underlying tissues in about a week. And fish, crabs, and sea lice will nibble away at the flesh. So within a week, like, there's already shit happening. Like, I don't see how her being dumped in December and her being found with at least her torso intact makes any sense. But if the water's cold enough, I guess it also can kind of preserve some of the body maybe if it's that cold mm -hmm. it encourages the formation of adiposer oh no am i saying that right i'm not a scientist <laughs> this is a waxy soapy substance formed from the fat in the body that pro partially protects the body against decomposition okay that's what i need to know if there's any way to kind of slow down the natural processes then maybe but by months she could still be found. And the baby was, I have information on that in, in a second too. Um, it can be intact from waters below 7 degrees Celsius after several weeks and as recognizable skeletons after five years. But in tropical waters, that's a different story. It's going to cause more um, breakdown and uh, it's going to come up to the surface, exposing it to seabirds on top of um, ocean predators. Mm -hmm. um, putrefaction scavenging creatures will dismember the corpse in a week or two and the bones will sink to the seabed. So this is December along the California coast. So um, it gets pretty cold out there, but I would just need more science. Like because of the scandal of this, I feel like they didn't ask like how much did she weigh? How cold was the water? Yeah. Um, were there signs that predators were feeding? Um, so things like that I would have liked to know. Um, so now I'm going to bring it back to I have some gruesome and graphic details on Lacey's remains. So I'm going to discuss how she was found and what the autopsy revealed. So if you would like to skip ahead or um, go ahead and wrap up your listening here, I completely understand. So I just wanted to give that quick um, announcement. And with that being said, I found the autopsy results. So East Bay Times reports on the details of Lacey's remains. And this was published July 22nd, 2004. So still pretty fresh, but with some time having passed before, or, you know, when her body was found up until this point. So Redwood City, and um, it was found, her body was found lying on a rocky outcrop on the eastern shore of San Francisco Bay on April 14th, 2003. The body had no head, lower arms or legs and was badly decayed. John Nelson, a forensic expert in the Contra Costa, uh, Contra Costa a County Sheriff's Department took the stand on Wednesday along with many other prosecution witnesses who testified about a desperate array of subjects from the identification of a blade of grass to a, a woman who stole checks from Scott Peterson after Lacey went missing. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. See, I don't know about that. There's way too much. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so Nelson's star startling testimony brought a hush over the courtroom as he described evidence coll collected from Lacey Peterson's body, including a tattered pair of tan maternity pants, underwear, and a bra. Nelson found a piece of duct tape about 15 inches long around um wrapped around her waist and her leg 
and a red piece of plastic was stuck to her chest along with some plant matter. Jurors stared up at the photographs of bones and muscle tissue taken for DNA samples and blank, blank expressions on most of their faces. In addition to the clothes, plastic, and plant material, Nelson said he also collected four of Lacey Peterson's hairs. On cross-examination defense, attorney Mark Garagos was more interested in the duct tape on the body or, or duct tape than the body itself. And he also fixated on a large plastic bag also wrapped in duct tape recovered at the Point Isabel area where um, Lacey Peterson's body was found. The bag, like the body, had um, duct tape adhering to it. Nelson merely packaged the materials for shipment to state crime labs and could not elaborate further on whether it had been tested for forensic matter or say whether investigators believed it was linked to the case. True, because there's, you know, debris and stuff in the ocean that might just, you know, cling on and stick. But at the same time, I don't think adhesive can hold the same amount of stickiness if it's been in the water, right? I don't think it's going to easily stick. In other words, I'm pretty sure she was put into the ocean in a bag with tape on it. So there was nothing in the bag that they found? No, what happened was because of how she was in the ocean for however long, it looks like the bag broke apart and pieces of the bag were just still on the body, but she was pretty much not in the bag anymore. Like there was no bag left Oh, is how okay. I'm understanding. Oh, that's... Um, so they just found pieces of plastic clinging to her and some tape around her waist and her leg. Uh, earlier that day, a Modesto detective testified that a woman who stole checks from Scott Peterson a month after his pregnant wife went missing was involved with an identity theft and fraud ring run by an Asian gang. What? What is going on? <laughs> The woman told Detective Mike Hermosa that on Christmas Eve 2002, the day Lacey Peterson disappeared, she was high on methamphetamine and hanging out with friends. And Garagos questioned Hermosa at length about the woman's ties to the Asian gang because a witness testified later in the trial that she saw three non-African-American dark-skinned men in a white or brown van on the Peterson Street that day. Isn't that what they said about the Medina in front of the Medina home? Yeah, I'm really confused on what the fuck... No, is it the same people, I wonder? Great, that's all it gives us on that. Um, that was eastbaytimes.com. Thanks a lot, eastbaytimes.com, for nothing. Now I have more questions than answers. So that was that. I don't want to get into the rest of it because it's a huge mess now that they're looking back on it and they reversed his death um, penalty. Or whatever. So now he's not going to die. And they're going to take another look at his case. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think so far? I still think he did it. I don't know, man. I think I'm starting somebody really- helped him. And he did it. Yeah, maybe that's why he doesn't cry at all the gruesome parts. Because he didn't deal with all the gruesome parts. Mm-hmm. He's got to have somebody really having his back for this. Because this is like... I don't know. He hasn't changed up his story at all from that point, from the very beginning. Yeah. I don't know. if, But the, the main thing that gets me is, like, if you kill somebody and then your attorney tells you, like, hey, you don't owe me any explanations, but just tell me, like, did something happen to Lacey? Like, did, was it an accident? She fell or something and you freaked out. Like, you can get out of this whole death penalty mess with a manslaughter uh, uh you know thing verdict or whatever and yeah. he still says i didn't do it like it, it's like 
at what point, you know what I mean? Like, do you stop saying that and just go ahead and let everybody know what happened? This is the same respect for your wife and child. This is the same dude that told some girl that he was in motherfucking Paris for Christmas. So that is, oh man, when they bring that stuff up in trial. Oh, the the mom and the dad, they left. The uh, Lacey's mom and stepdad, they could not handle listening to those calls like for very long. They left that morning and didn't come back to any of the other trials after that. Yeah, dude, um, I can imagine. They were pissed. It tore, it completely made people hate him to the max and it just did not help him at all. Um, but that's all they had, I feel like, was that he was just a liar and a narcissist. And when he's asked why he did that, he just brings up how he was vain. And it, having sex with somebody doesn't mean he doesn't love Lacey. Excuse I mean, me? I mean, hey, some people just oh. should be in polygamous relationships hey. is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Or polyamorous relationships. Um, you know what I mean. I don't. Obviously, I'm not trying to cover up for him at all, but I just don't know if that makes him a murderer. Like, not like Chris Watts. Chris Watts, oh, man. Yeah, that's and then, dude, did you catch the uh, 2020 special on Stacey Stites? No. And Rodney Reed? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh, that is something to see. Like, it's on, uh, I think, Hulu, but. Stacy Stites, you, you know, like Rodney Reed was pulled off of death row recently too, right? With uh, the Innocence Project or whatever. I did not know that. Well, this happened in, um, damn it, I forgot, Texas, near Austin, or near Georgetown, I feel like. Bastrop. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Anyway, so some shit's coming out about her fiance at the time that's making it seem like Rodney Reed is for sure innocent. But at the same time, Rodney Reed did some, like, shitty things too. But... Do I think he killed Stacy Stites? I'm not so sure. It just, it's very messy and there are a bunch of mistakes that the investigation made at the beginning that just complicates it even more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't know. Like, I don't know when she was disposed of. We don't know when she technically was killed. And a big detail too that I was going to mention right now is um, an expert on the fetus says that the baby just um came out after she was dead so that's why the baby really completely fully formed there's Mm -hmm. facial features and everything Mm -hmm. the skin is just very transparent i guess from just being in the water and stuff yeah just those details like i don't think she was killed the day she was taken i just don't know when or how or what yeah and then we have some things down next time with how he would even dispose of her body on that tiny little boat mm-hmm. um, with her at least 150 pounds. And uh, I don't know. It's just a huge mess. I can't believe her. Well, the way that the baby was born in the water was. Or- oh, and he has some tape on him too, I think. What? Yeah. Let me see if I can find it on ABC news. They ha- They got to actually look at the, autopsy report i'm not sure how many networks had this much insight into what happened but Mm -hmm. on may 30th 2003 um lacey peterson's head and parts of her limbs were missing and plastic tape was wrapped around her neck the neck of her child so uh see that's where it's weird okay listen i think i'm pretty sure they try to say that the tape came off of her body and onto his but 
If it's in the water, I don't see how that makes any sense. So according to the autopsy, the skin of the child was not decomposed at all, though the right side of the body was mutilated and the placenta and umbilical cord were not found with the body. The autopsy said that the cause of Lacey Peterson's death was undetermined and there was no evidence of man-made wounds, despite the fact that her head and all of her limbs were missing. Peterson's, or I guess part, all or part of her limbs were missing. Um, Peterson's body was so badly decomposed, it barely looked like a body after it was found um, on the bay last month. However, the autopsy report showed that her cervix was intact, dude. So how did the baby come out? How did the baby get out? Like, okay, so experts are divided on... Whether the new revelations about the condition of Lacey Peterson's body and that of her child will help prosecutors or attorneys representing Lacey's husband, Scott, um, who has been charged with the case. So on Thursday, sources close to the investigation told ABC News the sealed autopsy report indicated a piece of nylon tape was looped around the child's neck when it washed ashore last month and that there was a laceration or tear on the tiny body. There also was tape on Lacey Peterson's lower torso outside of her clothing. Um, when her body was found April 14th, a day after her baby's remains were recovered. Um, so forensic how pathologist. She, how is she still wearing clothes? I don't know. It's, I think it's, I hate to say this, but I looked, I, I hate to admit to this, but I looked to see if there were any possible photos because it's mm-hmm. just hard to imagine all the details that they're trying to say. Like there's plastic on her body, but she's also wearing clothes and she's also having tape in certain parts. So it's like, you can't tell what was done before she was put in the water. Right. And it makes it hard. So forensic pathologist, Dr. Michael um, Baden or Baden told Good Morning America that the limbs and the head were probably removed before she was put in the water. Mm-hmm. So that blows my um, theory of predators getting a hold of those parts. Right. Or, you know, I hate to discuss it so graphically, but I mean, there's rocks and stuff. Like if the body got, you know, pushed around in the water, parts fall off or whatever. Or, you know, the if he did, in fact, anchor cement anchors to those parts of her body, might have um it might have broken bones broken her neck and then it was easier for those parts to come off of the body mm-hmm. in the water mm-hmm. after the bones were broken um and then i don't know so baden the former chief pathologist for new york city said that it could not be determined from the autopsy how the baby came out of lacy's body isn't that so <sighs> i don't know yeah, the it one does that... tell us. Uh, it says it does tell us that the baby was in the womb for many months after Lacey was in the water, and Lacey, in fact, protected the baby until the baby came out shortly before the bodies were found. He said that the tape on Lacey's body and the cement bag that was found washed up on the shore near the baby could be important evidence. If any of the matches, if any of that matches cement or duct tape that they've come in contact with in removing stuff from Scott's place of work or place of residence, then that's heavy evidence. And so then there's a defense strategy that comes after that. But real quick, um, it would make sense for him to make the cement anchors while there, right? Because he can't load up all those cement anchors in the boat. His boat will sink. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what... So he might have brought the bag of cement with him. Does that make sense? Like you bring the bag of cement with you and make one of them at a time so that you just, I don't know how quick cement dries either. Oh no, I sound like an idiot. Cause what if you can't even. It takes forever to dry. Yeah. What if you can't even uh, do that? I don't know. I just feel like 
each anchor would have weighed a bunch. And if he has four of them, anyway. So the defense strategy says legal experts say that the autopsy, autopsy leaks, along with um, recent statements from Scott Peterson's lawyers, including uh, one that Lacey might have been killed by a satanic cult, could be part of a strategy that the defense um, to create doubts in the minds of prospective jurors, even before the case goes to trial. Mm-hmm. Satanic cult. Hmm. That is in 2002. I don't know. I'd have to do research on that. Hey, but if it was a satanic cult, aren't they supposed to like keep the baby and like sacrifice it to Satan or something? Isn't that what maybe all the cool cults are or doing? they or they freaked out? They might have saw how much heat they were going to get, like how much on the TV there was going on. They were like, oh, we got to get rid of everything. Can't. Yeah, no. I don't know. Mm-mm. I don't know. Um, the defense wants to try to get out as much possible information to instill reasonable doubt that there might be other people involved in this rather than their client. Uh, I haven't been involved in the investigation. Yada, yada. Okay, so as for the autopsy report itself, it does not have to indicate a cause of death to be a strong piece of evidence in a murder trial, even if it is only one more piece of circumstantial evidence. That's, I don't know. Uh, the autopsy doesn't have to have, for instance, a bullet wound in the head in order to know if somebody threatened somebody. They have done things to them in the past. They might have made stories to explain where they supposedly were on the night of the incident. People saw them going to the location or people saw them coming back. So that all that circumstantial evidence means more than finding the bullet wound in the head is what they're trying to say. Um, I don't know because it's like it, it takes away the how part of it all they have is the why which is amber fry and the when but at the same time the timeline doesn't make sense for me unfortunately i don't know but uh yeah that's that and i mean if they don't know how the baby was removed or had heard that she i didn't know about that tape around the baby's neck but i had heard that she did give birth right before they found them because because they were saying like how she did it, like the gases in her body like built up so much that it basically just forced the baby out of her body. Without the cervix like doing whatever it's supposed to do. I mean, I don't I didn't even know that that hadn't opened or anything. I feel like yeah. it would be, but I don't know if it would go back to the size that it's supposed to, like I don't know how oh, that works. I don't know. See, that's where it's, I don't know. And, and it makes sense up until like how the baby came out. Yeah. Because, I mean, it makes sense that she protected his body. He was perfectly intact for the most part. I don't know. And babies are very like soft and stuff. So they said that the body would have, you know, broken up pretty, pretty easy. fast. Yeah. Or, yeah, I don't know. Um so yeah, that's that, and uh, let us know what y'all think because I'm at a loss with uh, this case. This is all I've been thinking about for like a few weeks now. It's like very haunting to not know what happened to her. Mm-hmm. But anyway, anything else? Uh... No. Hmm. Prosecutors claim that the fetus was expelled from Lacey's decaying corpse. Mm-hmm. While Garagos contends that the baby was born alive and murdered later, which they say proves their client couldn't be the killer. I know. And the fetus was discovered with a tape-like twine. So this is saying tape-like twine now, 
wrapped around its neck, and prosecutors claimed the material attached to the body while it floated in the San Francisco Bay. Like, it wasn't put on the body. It was it just happened to get wrapped around the baby. Was it really um, tape or twine? What if it was the fucking umbilical cord? I'm sure they would be able to tell the the uh, I mean, coroner would all would tell. that they would be able to tell, but they fucking grasp at straws and shit for all kinds of shit, so... Dude, I know. Defense lawyers have implied that it may have been used to strangle the fetus after birth. <gasps> Dude, okay, I just picked... Okay, this is... Okay, now I'm getting some kind of idea of what might have happened. If they held on to her body, right? She's dead. They held on to her body in whatever location. And then the baby came out and they freaked out and killed the baby. But wouldn't... That was... It's and such it's a long awesome. time. Like, I don't... But can't they tell how long she's been in the water? Like, I know that there's I wish. like so I many factors, it. but like they can always tell for everything else. Like, why is this so difficult? They want. They keep saying that she was in the water for a few months, but that's only based on if she went into the water the day she went missing. I don't think that they were able to like calculate based on her body how long she was in the water or when she was killed. Right. And that's what's off the whole thing. But imagine like if that's what happened, like wherever they were storing her, they kill her and then she just gives birth and they find the baby and they're like, oh shit. Ugh, it must've been some heartless people if that's what happened. Dr. Peterson testified there was no indication the tape had been used in such a way like to strangle the baby. I could see neither external nor internal damage that could have been caused by this material, the doctor said. And the pathologist said no cause of death could be determined for Lacey or the fetus. Um, man. Mm -hmm. They just said that he dumped her body with weights on it into the bay. That's all they can come up with. Well, anyway, that's just going to have to haunt us for a long time to come. Um, and the dog, the dog just, it just freaks me out how they don't know. We'll never know. Oh, here we go. Later, forensic anthropologist Allison Galloway testified that Lacey's body had been in the water for three to six months. She estimated the fetus age to be between 33 and 38 weeks based on bone measurements. Garagos implied this estimation couldn't be exact because of the state of the of decomposition. Um, I hate to say mushy, but that was sort of the way it was, and it doesn't allow you to get an accurate, accurate measurement. Oh, the fetus was gushy or mushy. Oh, mm -hmm. horrible. So, yeah, that's that. That is crazy. And sad. And then uh, the whole boat situation. Oh, man, I cannot. We'll have to wrap it up next week. I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's so depressing. <laughs> it's for, for once. No, I'm just kidding. I get affected by a lot of the stuff we talk about, but it just really bothers me that there's a possibility an innocent person is on death row or, um, you know, in prison for this long. And then there's possibly somebody out there that's just, like, laughing it up. Like, I got away. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, the Christmas season is upon us. So stay safe out there and, you know, take care of each other. What you said. We are. We have a special episode coming out um, along with the last and final part to this series. And I hope it hasn't bored you guys to tears. I really just 
found that docuseries to be um, so interesting the way it broke apart different things and different theories. So that's why I used it, but I've yet to hear any complaints on me using it. So I tried to pull in a few more sources this time with my questions on how everything would have gone if they had looked at the science behind it instead of just the scandal. Let us know what you guys think on our Instagram page, Gimme the Creeps, or our Twitter. And yeah, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode as gruesome and graphic as it was. So did we give you the creeps?